Well, joyful greetings, church. Again, my name is Patrick Fisher, and I always say this over and over uh, every time I get on stage, but it's so important that you know this, that I am not the pastor of this church, nor am I trying to be a pastor. I am a preacher and a teacher, and I am not the pastor. But the reasons why I'm up here is because, one, I love God, and I love this church. And as a fellow imperfect, messy sinner and member of this family, this is how I love to serve both God and you guys, by using the gift that he has given me to serve you guys, to proclaim his word. So normally our pastor, Wilson Wang, uh, is away at conferences on Sundays whenever I'm scheduled to teach. But today he's actually here, so that's nice. <laughs> actually, that kind of sucks because now I can't like say all the blasphemous things I normally say or make fun of him behind his back because I do that all the time. Okay. <laughs> now that my intro's over, uh, we're just going to dive right into uh, our study in Philippians. We're in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 to 7. So open up your Bibles, your smartphones. If you have none of those, turn to your neighbor and share. We're all one big happy family. But if you guys are lazy, we'll have it on the screen. We're in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 to 7. This is our 11th week into the book of Philippians, and they got a lot to talk about, so that's fun. Let's read it together. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more." Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In verse 1, Paul, the writer of this book, he gives his brothers and sisters in Christ, his family, a command. And this command is rejoice in the Lord. And when I, when I hear this command that Paul is giving, it reminds me of a time when me and Justin, my brother-in-law, 
Uh, we're at, we were at a Jimjibang. If you don't know what a Jimjibang is, uh, it's a Korean spa, and it's amazing. You have to look it up, and you should go there. I'd love to fellowship with you. Um, well, in this Korean spa, there's a common area for both genders to hang out and relax and talk, to eat a steamed egg and Korean food. And so a group of us, we are in uh, the cold room, which is literally, literally a room that's cold. And in that room, we met a 16-year-old girl named Trinity. And she was non-Christian, and she was a complete stranger. And she asked us this question. What is the purpose of life? And not only was this a random question, but this was a deep question. And I love deep questions. Like, think about it, like, why are we here? What are we living for? What is all this and all of that about? Have you yourself ever wondered that? Have you yourself ever asked those questions? What is the purpose of your life? And my answer for her is the same as it is now. And it would be joy. We are here for joy. You and I were made to worship. We were were created to rejoice and delight and treasure something. And that something is ultimately God. C.S. Lewis, he says it like this. He says, the Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end, his purpose, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. But so many people, so many people over the majority of, our, of this world don't rejoice in God. They rejoice in other things. And we ourselves have rejoiced in other things. And it always leaves us unsatisfied. You and I, we know this to be true if we really think about it. Like how many times have we yearned for a relationship or a dream job or more money or a dream home only to finally have it, only to finally have that thing that we've been yearning for and pursuing and fighting for, only to finally have it and yet still we're left wanting more. We think this will satisfy us, this will make us whole, will complete us, but it doesn't. It's fleeting, it's temporal. They are small things, they are but mere pointers, small shadows of the thing that is greater. Those things that I mentioned, they're good things but they're not what we are ultimately meant to enjoy forever. 
That is God. We are called, we are invited to enjoy God in a real relationship. That's the only thing big enough to satisfy us. And so I love, I absolutely love how Paul starts off this chapter by saying, rejoice in the Lord. You can't separate those two, for that is our purpose. But you see, there is a problem to our purpose. There's a huge problem that hinders our joy in him, that ruins our getting to know him intimately. And so what is this problem? What what separates us from knowing God? And the problem is, it's us. I'm the problem. You're the problem. The problem is us. And at the root of us is sin and death. Now, unfortunately, we live in a day, we live in an age where saying such a thing is seen as arrogant, intolerant, unloving, and judgmental. Like, who are you to tell me what sin is? Who are you to say that I am the problem? Man, this is the truth. And if we ignore this truth, we miss our only chance at ever finding true joy. Because how do we explain what's wrong with us if we don't use this kind of language? How do we find, how do we get to the true solution if we don't talk about what's truly wrong? You see, the world would say the exact opposite of what I'm about to share about, of what Paul is talking about. They would say that the problem with the universe The problem in the world isn't you. It's something outside of you. And the solution, it's buried deep within. It's it's inside of you. And so you just got to work at it. You just got to dig deep. But the Bible would say, and the truth is this, that the problem is not outside of you. It's inside of you. And the solution is not inside of you. It's outside of you. It's in Christ. But man's default solution is looking inside instead of outside. It's what I'm going to be referring to as religion. Now, there are many different definitions for the word religion, but the way I'm going to use this word for the rest of my message is it means Putting your hope in the how-to. It's confidence in religious practices, performances, good morals, in order to gain salvation or favor from God. Putting your hope in external actions. Again, it's what I'm going to be referring to as religion. And it's man's default, natural instinct solution to our problem. And I'm going to be repeating this over and over and over again in my sermon because it's good for you to hear 
And I just want to hammer it in your head and hearts that religion will always fail. And Paul makes this clear in the next verses, in verses 2 to 3. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So what Paul is doing here is he's warning his brothers and sisters that there is this group of people and they are focusing on themselves. They are religious. They're, they're, and they're trying, to, they're trying to get his brothers and sisters, they're trying to impose that upon them. And the way they're doing that is they're trying to add this, this religious practice called circumcision, right? And if you don't know what circumcision is, uh, you can look it up. But a simple understanding of it is that it's uh, cutting of a very sensitive piece of flesh. Very sensitive. But nowadays, when we talk about circumcision, it isn't religious for us. It's something common. It's something that we do out of health reasons. Almost everyone gets circumcised, if you're male. But back then, circumcision was a religious practice. And there was a group of people that were trying to add on to the grace of God. They were saying that in order to be a true Christian, in order to be a true follower, in order to be truly saved, you have to be circumcised. But Paul says that these people are dogs, are evildoers, they are wrong, and what they're advocating is disgusting. They claim to know God. They claim to be glorifying him, but they are not. They are not true worshipers because they are focusing on themselves. See, the the reason why religion is so horrible is because it puts confidence on the flesh, on us, instead of Christ. But you see, we don't talk about circumcision like, like that nowadays, uh, it's not religious for us. It's not what we focus on. But I know that we still focus on religious practices. We still do something similar to what they're doing. Paul, in verses 4 to 6, he says, Look, okay, if you want to put confidence in the flesh, if you want to focus on religion, if you want to play this boasting game, I can play too. In fact, I can do better than you. And he goes off talking about all these great things that he has done. He starts listing this great religious resume, how he was circumcised on the eighth day, how he was a true Jew, how he was a Pharisee who memorized the whole Bible, how he was zealous and passionate and followed all the do's and don'ts. It's like he's saying this. It's like he's saying I'm varsity-level religion. 
he's A-game, right? He went to state. He got the gold medal in the Olympics. He won the Oscar for most religious. That's Paul. All of us are like juniors or something. JV. We win the, like, nice try reward. But to help you like, understand the weight of this further, I was thinking about some of the things that uh, people might say about my own religiousness. Because I have a lot of religious things that I can boast in as well. And so here are the things that I could boast in. I can boast in the fact that I grew up a Christian my entire life. I was raised in a Christian family. I went to a Christian private school. I started teaching Bible studies at the age of 14. And before that, I would host online Bible studies with strangers from New York that were older than me. I was a youth leader that served and acted more like a youth pastor at my church for years. I've been on mission trips to Thailand, Korea, and Japan. I teach at Bible studies, retreats, conferences, and other churches. I waited till I got married to have sex for the first time. Yes, true love waited. I never illegally drank alcohol, but I'm 24 now, and I drink all the time. And my mom's over there, but I drink responsibly. And I've never done drugs, which I'm sure my mom is happy to hear. I've raised up an army of Padawans in the Lord. That's one of them. When I was in college, there was a lock-in one semester at Cal State Fortin because there was, armed, there was an armed robber hiding on our campus. And as my class was freaking out, with the doors locked shut and my teacher not present for some reason. <laughs> I got up in front of my entire class and shared the gospel to 120 of my students, fellow classmates. I used to have the most messed up Bible ever because I would write so many notes in it and take it everywhere I went. I memorized things like the epic meta-narrative and, Latin phrase, and Greek phrases like hop hox legomena and Latin phrases like soli deo gloria or raritas vos liberibat. And I can see some blank faces on you saying like, okay, what is this guy saying? And on top of all of that, I can say it all in one big spoken word. I read my Bible, write in my journal, pray, listen to sermons and worship music every day. But if I put my hope in that, listen, if I ever put my hope in that, if I walk with any kind of swagger because I have confidence in my flesh, or if I strut my stuff because I think that what I can do has any merit, 
I am an absolute, horrible, stupid fool. I'm a complete idiot. Because I'm trusting in what I can do. I'm trusting in religion. And these things, they cannot save me. That long list, that religious resume, it does not save me and it will not save you. And if you really know my full testimony, then you know, you know how easy it is to look good on the outside. And yet, on the inside, in my heart, that's where the problem is. The Bible, it talks about how there are people who praise God with their lips. They'll sing worship songs, like the songs that we sang today. And yet, their heart is far from him. It's because they don't really know God. They say they do, but they don't because they're looking at themselves and not at the true solution. Again, they're looking inside instead of out. Therefore, if anyone tries to tell you that religion can save you, or if you yourself do that, if you tell people, look, get on my level, <laughs> then the Bible would call you, Paul would call you, and I would call you an evildoer and a dog. And not like a cute dog, like Coochie Coo, or the ones that you see on Instagram, and like, you guys know what I'm talking about. But a, but a disgusting, filthy dog. I don't like dogs anyways. <laughs> Just kidding. Not really. <laughs> and so, I worry. I worry that some of you are still stuck up on the religious externals. Because I can just imagine that some of you are still thinking of that long list of works that I just listed and thought, man, Patrick is so much holier than me. And I know this because I remember last time I taught this message a couple years ago, Right afterwards, someone came up to me and said, man, thank you so much for the message. I really enjoyed it. I really need to start reading my Bible more. And in, in my heart, I just wanted to like scream and say, oh my goodness, that wasn't the point. You shouldn't be focusing on those things. Were you listening to anything that I was saying? Maybe you started looking at Facebook halfway in the middle or something. All of our righteousness that we can muster, no matter how self-disciplined you think you are, 
no matter how good you are at the Bible reading plan, is but filthy rags. And so, what should we be focusing on? What exactly is the true solution to our problem? Paul says it in verses 8 to 12, and I got Wilson's permission to go a little bit beyond my given text. But other speakers, they're going to be coming back to these verses and give a more in-depth study. But I wanted to touch upon this because otherwise I would just leave you guys with a problem and no like, real solution. And so Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 12. It says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What Paul is saying here is that all those things that he used to boast in, all those things he used to find confidence in, he counts them as lost. He rejects all of them. He counts them as rubbish, as crap, for the surpa- compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And Paul knows that his religion isn't what will get him to know God. And not only that, he sees the worth of God, of Christ, and he says, I'll endure suffering I'll lose everything. I'll say to live is Christ and to die is gain because God is infinitely better. Paul sees this and knows this because his confidence in his relationship with God isn't in religion, isn't in what he can boast about. It's in Christ. He says that he doesn't have righteousness, righteousness because of the law, but because of faith in Christ Jesus. It's because of Christ Jesus. He is the true solution. Because in all the ways that we fail, Christ succeeds. In all the ways that we are weak, he is strong. In all the ways we are imperfect, he is perfect. And in all the ways we lose, he is victorious. The only righteousness 
that we can have that is acceptable to God is the one graciously given to us by Christ Jesus on the cross. In verse 12, one of my favorite verses, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Think about that. Everything Paul does isn't so that Christ would accept him and not be disappointed in him, but it's because of God's love that Christ has already accepted him, is already pleased in him, is already proud of him. It's because Paul is already his, that he does all that he does. Is that why you do what you do? Is that why you come to church or read your Bible or confess your sins? And look, if you think what I'm saying is that we don't strive for holiness, we don't do those things, we don't do the externals, then you're hearing me wrong. Paul says he presses on. It's this strong language. He's fighting sin. He's reading the word of God. He's praying. He's, he's being authentic. He's doing all those good things, but his motive isn't to fit in. It isn't try, to try to save himself or to find confidence or something that he can boast in. It's because he is obedient to the one he loves because he was first and infinitely more loved. Paul doesn't focus on the how-to. He focuses on knowing Christ because of Christ. That is his confidence, and that should be our confidence as well. That even while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. So getting more religious is not the answer. It's going to Christ because he has made us his own. That is our confidence. Religion, it cannot save us. And every other religion, every other faith says it can, and they're wrong. And I'm not saying that as a pronouncement of judgment, but as an invitation into true joy. Religion has us stuck into thinking, I got to work, I got to earn my way there. But Paul and Christ say, no, that's not right. Christ is the only way. It's not cruel. It's not unloving. It's gracious. It's truly loving because we, have, we are not the solution. All religions are not the solution. Christ is the solution. You don't have to pretty yourself up before you go to God. You don't have to lie or make yourself see, you don't, you don't have to project yourself and make it seem that you have it all together. You can be broken and be loved. Be sick and be loved. 
be imperfect and be loved. Hebrews says that we have an empathetic high priest who died for our sins, past, present, and future. And that he is not just the founder of our faith, but he is the perfecter. He is not just the one that started this. He is the one that sustains it to the very end. I pray that we would never trust our sweetest frame, but we would wholly trust in Jesus' name. And as we have the solution to the problem, as we cling onto truth, let's enjoy God and let's tell others about the solution. Let us warn them to look out of the problem and invite them into true joy by having confidence in Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that even when we were all prodigals, even when we were all wayward and lost, when we were unfaithful and distant, and no matter how badly we've messed up, you enter us, you, you invite us back in with open arms. You say that your grace is sufficient for us. I pray that we would stop looking at others. We would stop comparing ourselves right now. We would stop looking at our works and how great it is or how weak they are, and instead, we would look at you, and not just for salvation, but for every other area of our life that we would, we, we would really take hold of this relationship that we have, and we would see the joy availed to us. We love you, God, but you love us infinitely more. And I pray that we, as your church, would have gotten a greater glimpse of that today through your word speaking to us. And it's in your sweet, sweet Jesus' name we pray. Amen.